Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Transfiguration hymn, O wondrous type, O vision fair. Well, what is Jesus doing on that mountain? We know what it looked like to Peter, James, and John, who witnessed his transfiguration. He and his clothes glowed with the brightness of the sun. There was a divine voice, and then Jesus lays his hand on them after they are cowering in fear and says, Do not be afraid. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Thursday afternoon, the 26th of January. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Looking forward to the transfiguration of our Lord. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. He's director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. Of all the events that are recorded in the Gospels, and many are celebrated by the church. Why does the church celebrate and observe the transfiguration of our Lord? You know, that's a great question. And I, I think at the end of Epiphany, the celebration of the transfiguration of our Lord is really, because we're talking about Epiphany, you know, the, the revelations of who Jesus is. It is a revelation of the second article of the creed, you know, the person and work of the Lord Jesus all focused in on this event of the miracle of the transfiguration. What do we say in the second article? You know, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. That's revealed at the transfiguration. And God's loving nature, his sacrificial love, whereby the Father gives up his Son, and the Son willingly in love for the Father and us lays down his life. That is an epiphany of God's glory. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death, he's going to come down from the Mount of Transfiguration and go to the cross to make the revelation of his glory in the immortality and incorruptibility that is his, which we will share in through faith in Christ as we are then raised from the dead on the last day because of his redeeming work, whereby we are covered with his everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So you really see in the transfiguration, when you connect it with the glory of God in the Old Testament and those theophanies where he revealed himself and the trajectory of all of those revelations, which culminates in the cross and resurrection. And for us, our baptism, we are baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection to walk in the newness of life, which we now do by faith, but on the last day, we shall experience it when we are raised from the dead 
in all its glory, where this corruptible flesh will put on incorruption and the mortal will put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so you see it here in the transfiguration. You see in the transfiguration, the necessity of the sacraments. You see holy absolution as Jesus lays his hand on the disciples and says, do not be afraid. And they look up and they see only Jesus, which is the posture of the Christian faith. So this last Sunday after the epiphany of our Lord really reveals to us in brilliant glory the person and work of Christ and the future glory and resurrection that shall be ours in Jesus. Since we are going to be talking about that glory, give us a little catechesis on the concept of God's glory. I think this is so important to lay this kind of foundation and groundwork. God's glory is often conceived of almost strictly in terms of God's attributes, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his justice, etc. But God's glory is much more than his attributes. I mean, it includes his attributes. His, his attributes reflect it in certain senses, but it's much more than his attributes. It is centered most especially in his nature. And his nature is divine love. As the Apostle John said, God is love. A love that is pure. There is no evil. There is no sin in God's love. A love that is pure. A love that is selfless. A love that is self-giving, which God intended from before the foundation of the world in creation and the creation of man in his own image and likeness. So God's nature, this self-giving love, is the essence of God's glory. Now, it is because of the nature of God, the purity of his love, which is at the heart of his glory, that sinners tremble and fear in the presence of that glory. At the heart of the corruption of our nature is actually the self-centered egotism to which Satan tempted us to follow. So you might say that we are, according to our fallen nature, corrupted by sin, diametrically opposite of what God is in his nature. So this problem of sin, which thoroughly corrupts our nature, making it impossible for us to come to a right knowledge of God, to trust in God, to love God rightly, to love others selflessly, and to give of ourselves freely, is at the heart of the fear of God's glory. And I don't think we even realize the exact reason for our fear. I think those to whom God's glory was manifest in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, for example, they trembled with fear. I don't think they fully appreciated in any sense what it was that was causing them to fear, but it has to do with God's nature of love, which is so radically different from the sinful nature and how sin has corrupted us. So here's the paradox revolving around God's glory as, as we see it on display in the scriptures. God's unveiled glory destroys the sinner. It overcomes us. It overpowers us. It condemns us. But God's veiled glory not only saves us from destruction, but here's the paradox. It reveals more clearly his loving nature. So here in the veiled glory of God that actually reveals more clearly his loving nature, 
Here we're talking about the conception of the Son of God in human flesh by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's revealing the loving nature of God's glory. His state of humiliation, his virgin birth, think of it, born of a woman under the law, laid upon her breast, cared for by her, his agonizing passion and death upon the cross, the touch of Jesus' hand in the flesh upon the sinner in the flesh for the healing of his forgiveness, whereby he takes our sin into his flesh and gives us his righteousness in exchange, his approach to us in the divine word, in preaching, in catechesis, in the reading of the scriptures and the meditation upon the sacred texts, in the humble elements of bread and wine and water in the holy sacraments of Christ. In these veiled expressions of God's glory, we come to experience the greater essence of his divine self-giving sacrificial love. So that's the kind of labeled the paradox of God's glory, the veiled and the unveiled glory. So I guess that's an important aspect of, I think, an understanding of God's glory, certainly that the preacher needs to have. And and I think it's it's something that the well-catechized Christian needs to understand as well and think about more deeply. Notice several manifestations of the glory of God in the scriptures. The glory of God at the burning bush. I am who I am. That is contained in the alternate Old Testament reading that we'll go through. You also have the glory cloud, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, the glory cloud that led the children of Israel through the wilderness and that covered the tabernacle and was located between the cherubim upon the seat of mercy of the Ark of the Covenant. You also have the glory that was reflected in Moses' face necessitating that a veil be placed over his face when he talked with the congregation. That's the first option for an Old Testament reading for this Sunday. You also have the glory of the Lord that was manifested upon Mount Carmel as fire fell from heaven upon the sacrifice and consumed it. Now, that's not the Old Testament reading, but Elijah's appearance with Jesus uh, in Matthew's account of the transfiguration should remind us of that. You also have the glory of the Lord that shone around the shepherds. And what did it do? It made them sore afraid. So those are some of many, just to touch on a few, manifestations of the glory of God in the Old Testament. But they're all kind of significant as we talk about the unveiled glory and the veiled glory of the Lord. So, Todd, the transfiguration of our Lord not only reveals who Jesus is, the Son of God in human flesh, But it also gives us an epiphany of who we will become in the resurrection to immortality and incorruptibility in Christ. Here's where the paradox of the revelations of God's glory come together. Receiving Jesus now in his veiled glory by faith will give way to full communion with his glory in the life to come when we are raised from the dead. So this is the excellent glory of which the Apostle Peter speaks in the appointed epistle for the transfiguration. 
How does the Collect for the Transfiguration read, and what would you say about it? The Collect reads this way. O God, in the glorious transfiguration of your beloved Son, you confirm the mysteries of Moses and Elijah. In the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wonderfully foreshowed our adoption by grace. Mercifully make us co-heirs with the King in his glory and bring us to the fullness of our inheritance in heaven. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So, Todd, notice the collect for the day refers to the mysteries of God's glory that we just discussed. And uh, you get the sense from that collect of both the revealed glory of God as well as the hidden, veiled glory of God. Moses and Elijah are cited as the Old Testament prophetic witnesses to God's glory and to the suffering of the cross that was to come. In Jesus' transfiguration, we behold the glory of Christ that will be ours, and the the collect for the day sets out that theme and further amplifies it by saying that we are co-heirs with Christ, our King, of his glory. And this is what we might call our baptismal inheritance. As in baptism, we're joined to Jesus' death and resurrection. And therefore, the result of that is going to be the wonderful glory of the resurrection to immortality and incorruptibility with Christ and an eternal communion with him, if you will. And so the collect it captures kind of all of those themes for the day that are elucidated in the gospel and in the readings for the day. The intro, it is from Psalm 84 selected verses and Psalm 77. How does it read? Yes, the Antiphon, Psalm 77, verse 18, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Clearly, the Antiphon bespeaks that unveiled glory of God, so many manifestations of that in the Old Testament witness. But then it settles in after the Antiphon in these lovely verses from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So the intro, it reminds us that our access to God's glory is in the house of the Lord, in the veiled glory of his holy word and of his sacraments. So the antiphon expresses our yearning for this communion with Christ. Or, the, or I should say the intro it does, the antiphon bespeaks that unveiled glory of God, but then the rest of the intro from Psalm 84 expresses our yearning for this communion with Christ in this life, in his holy word, in his blessed sacraments. And it really confesses the notion that in Christ, received in word and sacrament now, we touch his glory, he touches us, and nothing is withheld from us. We know this now by faith. 
But what the transfiguration then proclaims to us is that in the life to come, we shall know it in all of its fullness. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. On the other side, the Alleluia verse for the transfiguration of our Lord. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The new Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. St. Jacoby Lutheran Church in Shawano, Wisconsin has a special guest each and every week. It isn't you, but it is Jesus Christ. He is a guest and he is also the one who comes to serve you with his preached word and his broken body and shed blood. You are invited to be served by Jesus on Saturday evening at 6.30 and Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Visit www.stjakobi.org for more information. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the transfiguration of our Lord. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Peter, the Alleluia verse for the transfiguration is Psalm 96, verses 2 and 3. And it reads this way, Alleluia, sing to the Lord. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Alleluia. And Todd, in this Psalm 96, Alleluia verse for the day, sing to the Lord. The word Lord there is exactly the same connection with the Old Testament reading, the second one, I am who I am at the burning bush, the eternal God of the promise of salvation. So this is the true God, the Lord of our salvation, who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sing to the Lord, tell of his salvation from day to day. So the works of our Lord's self-sacrificing love manifest his glory and are the source of our salvation. And they are the content of our preaching and the confession of every Christian. So as always, the verse for the week sets up the gospel for the day. The Gospel is Matthew 17, the first nine verses. Read that for us and then go into it. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. 
And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Now, Todd, one of the things that, that I've observed in many years in the ministry is how important catechesis is and ongoing exposure to the Word of God is for ever-deepening understanding of the sacred text by members of the congregation. So someone who is new to the faith is going to immediately gravitate to the miracle of the transfiguration. This metamorphosis is what it really means of Jesus' body, where he is metamorphosized, transfigured before them, and the glory of God shines through his flesh and through his person and his clothing. He shines like the sun, and he becomes as white as light. But the person who has spent many years in the faith, and especially the person who has meditated upon the scriptures and been well catechized, picks up on other nuances. So, for example, the evangelist Matthew says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. In that first verse of the gospel for the day, the reference to six days, it is not merely Jesus did this on day one, he did this on day two, and then after six days he did this. But that reference also should remind a Christian of the six days of creation, after which he finished his work and rested. So after six days of redemption, on the cross, Jesus will say, it is finished. And that finished work whereby he fulfills the scriptures and accomplishes everything necessary for us results then in what? In our resurrection from the dead. So these are little things that maybe a person new to the faith would miss, but a person who has been well catechized and knows a lot of scripture might see these particular connections. Another one is to the high mountain itself. So many references to the high mountain and then the grassy place where the people sit to receive the feeding of the 5,000, for example, should remind us of Moses who encountered the Lord upon Mount Sinai, the shepherd of Israel, and then he came down and he spoke God's word to the people. So in this case, Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John, his brother, leading them up on a high mountain by themselves and then they are able to see the very glory like Moses did at the burning bush where he's transfigured before them. So I like to, from time to time, 
just try to accent to the congregation in a Bible class or in a sermon, how we hear these texts year after year, and we're given opportunity to meditate through the lens here of the gospel for the day on the transfiguration of our Lord, the entirety of the scriptures, and to underscore how all of the scriptures are about Christ. The entirety of the Old Testament is about Christ. We may not always understand and know how it is connected to the person and work of Jesus, but it surely is, as Jesus said in John's gospel to the to, the, to his antagonists, you know, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So let's go through, as we've been doing in our past Epiphany gospel reading, some points of Epiphany or revelation uh, within the gospel narrative itself. And I think these Epiphanies, if you will, are really significant for understanding the gospel and drawing comfort from the gospel for the day and the celebration of our Lord's transfiguration in our own lives. So when Jesus was first transfigured, the glory of God was manifest in his flesh and clothing. Here, Todd, we see the union of the divine and human nature fully manifest, wonder of wonders, true God and true man in one person. And Peter witnessing this exclaims, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And in that moment, it's interesting to note, in that moment, when they see Jesus transfigured, they were not afraid. When they see, in other words, the Son of God in human flesh, shining with the glory of God through his flesh, they're not afraid. But when the bright cloud overshadows them, and the glory of the Lord, as was manifest in an unveiled way, as in the Old Testament theophanies. And when God the Father spoke from heaven, then they fell down on the ground trembling with fear. So I think that makes this connection that we talked about at the outset of our discussion together about the unveiled glory of God and the fear that it inspires in the sinner and the veiled glory of God, whereby he approaches us. Another thing I would add in terms of epiphany here, the Father's word, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That much of it we heard already at the beginning of Jesus' ministry at his baptism, when he is anointed with the Holy Spirit, where he is declared to be the Lamb of God, where the Father at his baptism imputes to him the sin of the world, and he is the Lamb of God is destined to carry that sin away for us to the death of the cross and make atonement for our sin. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But then in the transfiguration, which is toward the end of Jesus' ministry, as he is going to, after this, set his face to Jerusalem to go to the cross and resurrection, the father adds this word. The ESV says, listen to him. I prefer the translation, hear him where the ear is the organ of faith. And what does this do? This word of the Father focuses faith's attention exclusively upon Jesus as the only begotten Son and as the revelation of God's glory for mankind. In other words, as John the Apostle would say, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And when John writes that in his first chapter of the Gospel of John, 
In part, he's referring to what he learned and what was revealed to him at the Transfiguration. Another epiphany, the father is delighted with his son. For the son shares in the father's nature, that self-giving, sacrificial love, which is God's by nature, and he is willing to sacrifice himself in love for the father and in love for us upon the cross. And that's at the heart of the father's delight, as is revealed in his words upon the Mount of Transfiguration. Hear him, hear him, hear him. It captures the essence of what we are called to in this life as the baptized faithful. Faith not only lives from the word of Christ, but it is through the word of Christ that we become in this life partakers of his glory now for the glory that will later be revealed in us in the resurrection on the last day. So, Todd, I would like to argue that the greatest epiphany of God's glory in this gospel narrative is actually seen in Jesus laying his hands upon Peter, James, and John with the word, do not be afraid. I want you to think about this. Here they have just seen the glory of eternal God shining through Jesus' flesh, that God would touch them, that God would touch you and I. This is the greatest manifestation of God's glory. And in that touch that he would say, do not be afraid. That is a word of absolution. In that word, Jesus revealed the glory of his divine love that he would come for sinners, joining himself to our flesh and blood. Now we can think of the prophet Isaiah, you know, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. When they lifted up their eyes then upon Jesus' touch and his word, they saw no one but Jesus only. Isn't this the life of faith for us now? I really think that's the climax to the transfiguration and the greatest manifestation of his glory. And we can talk about the appearance of Moses and Elijah, and it would be, we would be missing something if we didn't. You know, not only do their appearance signify the prophets who bore witness to the glory of God in the Old Testament, but the particular prophets, Moses, the very foundational prophet of the Old Testament, and Elijah as a latter prophet, also represent the totality of the prophetic witness that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And I make that point now so when we hear the epistle from Second Peter, we can remember how Peter talked about the prophetic word made more certain in the fulfillment of that word in the revelation of Jesus' birth, life, death, ministry, and resurrection. We also see in Jesus' transfiguration the full epiphany of God's glory that we will share in our resurrection on the last day. And I think, Todd, the, the final point that I would like to underscore here is this mysterious word of Jesus at the end. After the cloud lifts and he has laid his hands on them and says, do not be afraid, and they see only Jesus, then he says this, tell no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. It is an important word, but what does it mean? They were not ready yet to speak about the divine mystery of God's glory. They had much to learn. They had much to witness in his suffering, his death, his resurrection. So now they were given to hear and receive. And in the resurrection, then they would be given to speak 
as Peter would do in his epistle appointed for the day. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to the transfiguration of our Lord, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll be in the Old Testament reading in Exodus 34 next. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Since 1973, pro-life advocates have been gathering annually in Washington, D.C. to march for unborn life. And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, this movement has taken on new direction and new focus. To learn more, pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, titled Life After Roe, and learn more about what the pro-life movement is now doing to stand up for life. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus, where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the Transfiguration of Our Lord with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, the one-year lectionary calls for first, not surprisingly, the Old Testament reading from Exodus 34, beginning at verse 29. Read that for us. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. 
But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him, that is, with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So, Todd, the glory that shone upon Moses' face reflected the partially unveiled glory of the Lord. The veiling of his face not only shielded them from fear, but it also foreshadowed, if you will, the need for the Lord to come to them in a different way, namely in the flesh of his Son, in Jesus' state of humiliation, in Jesus' suffering, in Jesus' death, where what was written on the two tablets of the testimony when he came down from the mountain and which were placed in the Ark of the Covenant would find their fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, whereby he would win their redemption and eternal communion with the Lord. So it's certainly, as you indicated at the outset before reading this, an appropriate Old Testament reading for the day. And it helps us understand why Moses was there appearing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was also an alternative Old Testament reading that you had mentioned, Exodus 3. Yes, Exodus 3, 1 through 14. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. So we see how this Old Testament reading ends as an alternate for the day, with Moses hiding his face in fear for the reasons we spoke about before. He is seeing a manifestation of God's glory, not veiled in the human flesh of Jesus, but there in the bush, that burned but was not consumed. There's a number of things we could say about this, and let me continue to read on the text. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Again, this is the word of the Lord. So Moses, that preeminent prophet of the Old Testament, who was a kind of redeemer figure to the children of Israel, appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration to proclaim and confess him who was the true Redeemer, namely the Son of God in human flesh. So the Lord revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, and he was to take off his sandals because the Lord was revealing not just that he is eternal God, omnipotent, omniscient, and full of glory, but the Lord was revealing himself as the Redeemer his redemptive plan of salvation for Israel, according to the promise of redemption made to the patriarchs. And this is part of the reason why that was holy ground, because he is reiterating the promise of salvation made to the patriarchs, a promise which was the basis upon which the Lord was going to act for the redemption of his people. And therefore, it was holy ground, and Moses was to take off his sandals as a kind of redeemer figure himself. But Moses looks forward to the ultimate redeemer who would crush the serpent's head with his bare heel. So here in this Old Testament reading, I am who I am, coupled with these references to the promise made to the patriarchs, declares the Lord to be what I like to define as the eternal God of the promise of salvation. Not just that he is eternal, but he is the one and only eternal God who has promised salvation and redemption for his people. His nature is love. He always has been, he is now, and he ever shall be. And that loving nature is finally revealed in all of its fullness and glory in the flesh of Jesus as we see him on the Mount of Transfiguration, true God and true man in one person. The gradual is two psalm verses, one from Psalm 45 and one from Psalm 110. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Just a couple of points here. Jesus is the most handsome of men because he is incarnate love, the express image of the Father's heart. And so this handsomeness of the Lord Jesus, true God and true man, born of the Virgin Mary and revealed, transfigured in glory upon the mountain, 
is our Savior and our God. David's confession in this gradual speaks of God the Father's delight in his Son, which will be expressed in the Father's word at the transfiguration. So David says, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, says to my Lord, namely his Son, my Savior, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, which is what the Father did on account of the sacrifice and atonement that Jesus made upon the cross. All of the enemies of sin, death, and Satan were placed under his feet. So this is a great transition then, as the gradual does from the Old Testament into the epistle for the day, even as its trajectory moves to the gospel. We will conclude our conversation looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, to the Transfiguration of Our Lord with Pastor Peter Bender, right after this. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring, Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools. Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com Welcome back. We're looking forward to the transfiguration of our Lord according to the one-year lectionary of Pastor Peter Bender, Pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and Director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Here's a little bit from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. It's the latest Concordia commentary on John, covering chapters 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50, by Dr. Bill Weinrich. Whoever does not hear Jesus' words is not from God. Such a person is not able to hear the words of Jesus. And so he does not accept Jesus as the interpreter of their scriptures. To him, Jesus' interpretation of the scriptures is false and blasphemous. On the other hand, those who are from God hear what Jesus himself has heard, and they not only obey Jesus' teaching, but they are one with him in their baptism, and so live that life which is according to the Spirit. Find out more about the Concordia Commentary on John 
972-1250 through at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. Pastor Bender, we come now to the epistle that you have mentioned several times here, Second Peter 1, beginning at verse 16. And before reading this, remember how Jesus told the apostles, don't say anything until the Son of Man is risen from the dead, because though they had learned much at the Mount of Transfiguration, the interpretation of those events was not really made clear until Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them on Pentecost, and then it all comes together. But this becomes then Peter's testimony, And you cannot help but understand that he is referring directly to the transfiguration. Quoting him now, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Todd, in this epistle, we see what it is to be an apostle. The apostles were not only chosen to be eyewitnesses of Jesus, to preach his word authoritatively as the word of divine truth, but the apostles sent out on Jesus' behalf were called by him to witness the very fulfillment of the Old Testament prophetic witness in the events of our salvation. And that's what Peter clearly confesses here. And he says, all of these events of salvation, are they're not cleverly devised myths. We saw the prophetic word fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus, in his death and resurrection, in his transfiguration upon the mountain, and we heard the voice of the Father. So Peter's epistle is a commentary upon the event of the transfiguration, and by extension also their entire experience with Jesus throughout his ministry, which they were called to bear witness to as his apostles, where he revealed his glory to them, not only upon the Mount of Transfiguration, but in the humble ways of his ministry, whereby he came to them and so many countless sinners to bring life and salvation. So the revelation of God's glory was the fulfillment of and the confirmation of the prophetic word. Word. And I think we need to accent that faith rests upon the word of the scriptures, inspired and inerrant for our salvation and also for the certainty and consolation at the time of our death, that when we die, we belong to Christ to whom we were baptized. And on the last day, we shall be raised from the dead and full partakers of Christ's glory. How would you then summarize the message of this coming Sunday, the transfiguration of our Lord, in terms of law and gospel. Let me just simplify it down to a couple of points. Our malady, 
in this life to which the law must be addressed are number one, the problem of sin makes it impossible for us to bear the glory of God. The problem of sin causes fear when we're in the presence of God's unveiled glory. And the problem of sin makes it impossible for us to bear that glory. We cannot trust God. We cannot love him. We cannot approach him. And it can leave us in a sense of despair. Number two, our flesh tends to believe then that God is forever separated from us and that the chasm between us and God cannot be breached. And of course, that is not true. But the unique gospel for the day, I think, revolves around these two points. Number one, Jesus' glory is manifest to us now in the humble ways he comes to us. So what Peter and John beheld on the Mount of Transfiguration as the glory of God's loving nature shone through the flesh of the Son of God, that glory comes to us now in humble ways. The words that he spoke to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration are the words that he speaks to us now. Do not be afraid. And we should think of that when our pastors lay their hands upon our head and speak our name. Todd, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When our pastor places into our mouth the body of Christ and when we drink of the cup of salvation, the blood of Christ, Jesus' glory is manifest to us now. And he comes to us. Number two, Jesus' glory will be manifest in us on the last day in all of its fullness when we are raised to incorruption and immortality and when we experience in all of its fullness what we have a foretaste of now in the Lord's Supper, but on the last day, full communion and participation in the glory of the Son of God in human flesh which we shall enjoy for all eternity. Did you want to say anything about the hymn of the day for the Transfiguration, which is a wondrous type of vision fair? It's a great hymn because it retells the narrative and it makes and highlights a number of these points that we've been discussing. A wondrous type of vision fair of glory that the church may share, which Christ upon the mountain shows where brighter than the sun he glows. And we share in that glory now in the word and in the sacraments of Christ. With Moses and Elijah nigh, the incarnate Lord holds converse high, and from the cloud the Holy One bears record to the only Son. See, all of Scripture points to Jesus and finds its fulfillment in him. With shining face and bright array, Christ deigns to manifest today what glory shall be theirs above who joy in God with perfect love. And faithful hearts are raised on high by this great vision's mystery, for which in joyful strains we raise the voice of prayer, the hymn of praise. And that stanza speaks of 
the encouragement that the transfiguration gives us now, how it highlights Christian hope that helps to lift the burdens of this life and suffering in this life under the cross of affliction or persecution or hardship or the struggle with one's own sin. In Jesus' transfiguration, we beheld the glory that shall be ours on the last day. And finally, the doxology, what a fitting close. O Father, with the eternal Son and Holy Spirit ever one, we pray thee, Bring us, by thy grace, to see thy glory face to face. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd, so much. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss threats of violence against a Lutheran pastor for opposing a local drag queen show. Our guest will be Pastor Tyrell Bramwell of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California. And it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Roseborough fighting for the faith. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 5th.